Good afternoon. Um, If you would, please turn with me in your Bibles to Exodus chapter 33. I pray that everyone has truly been blessed by all that has been said today as these men have been breaking the bread of life for us to feed our souls, to teach us, to encourage us to look to our Lord. It has been a wonderful day and I'm I'm so thankful just to be a part of it. Um, As Justin and Damon was mentioning too, um, it really just began with, with just coming together to encourage one another and uh, develop relationships and it kind of blossomed into this and it's it's wonderful getting to know some of these men that I've only really just got to know on on Facebook just keeping up with them but to, to actually meet them and the fellowship with them has been wonderful and I pray indeed that we can continue this not just as the, those in the beginning but for all of our churches here in Exodus chapter 33 our text is going to be verses 12 to 23 and in our session we are focusing mainly on being deeply rooted in God's character and granted there are numerous passages of scripture that we could go to to describe various attributes of God whether it's talking about the holiness of God or the goodness of God the faithfulness of God on and on we can go I want to focus in mainly in our time together on the gracious character of God And seeing the gracious character of God, not just within New Testament passages, but to see it within the Old Testament. Because it seems as if, especially within the secular world or with various various atheists and all of that, they seem to look at the Old Testament and they seem to look at God as being mean and vengeful and wrathful and all of this kind of language. And not only that, but even some Christians tend to steer away from the Old Testament. Mainly sticking to the New Testament. And I don't know if it's necessarily a matter of just them not being confident enough to to see the grace of God within the Old Testament or not. But this is the same God. It is the same God from the Old Testament into the New Testament. It is the same God who has graced his people all through the history of mankind. And that's why I think it would be wonderful to look at this passage together, which is a very familiar passage probably to us. And to see the gracious character of God put on display for us. And it's passages like what we're going over today that should really encourage our hearts as we consider the grace of God in our own lives. We see it extended to his people here in the face of his law being broken. And that should give us pause just to reflect upon the grace that has been extended to us. Even in our own individual rebellion, that grace being extended to us. Where would any of us be if it were not for the grace of God? And where would any of us be if it weren't for the continued grace of God? To preserve us, to keep us, to hold us. And this this is the same reality as what we experience today as it was then. Of God preserving his people, showing himself to be gracious to them. And... Here in this passage, there's some remarkable things that are occurring that lead up to this exchange between Moses and the Lord. But as we work our way through it, even though it may be familiar to us, I pray that we would allow the Holy Spirit to really apply it to our hearts and to give us a greater understanding of the the gracious character of God as it is set before us. 
And I pray that it would stir within our hearts a greater affection and thankfulness for our Lord extending that grace to us. That it would truly cause us to walk in humility and, and cultivate that in our hearts. And I pray as well that it would help to embolden us when it comes to the declaration of the gospel and praying for those that are lost. So if you would, and this is custom at our church too, if you would, please stand for the reading of God's word. <clears throat> this is the inspired, inerrant, authoritative, infallible words of the living God. Let us give our attention to the word of God. Exodus chapter 33, beginning of verse 12. Then Moses said to the Lord, See, you say to me, bring up this people, but you yourself have not let me know whom you will send with me. Moreover, you have said, I have known you by name, and you have also found favor in my sight. Now, therefore, I pray you, if I have found favor in your sight, let me know your ways, that I may know you, so that I may find favor in your sight. Consider, too, that this nation is your people. And he said, My presence shall go with you, and I will give you rest. Then he said to him, If your presence does not go with us, do not lead us up from here. For how then can it be known that I have found favor in your sight, I and your people? Is it not by your going with us, so that we, I and your people, may be distinguished from all the other people who are upon the face of the earth? The Lord said to Moses, I will also do this thing of which you have spoken. For you have found favor in my sight, and I have known you by name. Then Moses said, I pray you, show me your glory. And he said, I myself will make all my goodness pass before you, and I will proclaim the name of the Lord before you, and I will be gracious to whom I will be gracious, and will show compassion on whom I will show compassion. But he said, You cannot see my face, for no man can see me and live. Then the Lord said, Behold, there is a place by me, and you shall stand there on the rock, and it will come about while my glory is passing by, that I will put you in the cleft of the rock and cover you with my hand until I have passed by. Then I will take my hand away, and you shall see my back, but my face shall not be seen. Let's pray together. Holy Father, we come before you this day asking that the Spirit of God would give us a greater understanding of this passage, that he would lift our eyes toward you to behold your majesty and your glory and to see what great grace that you have extended to us who are so undeserving. Oh, Father, let it encourage our hearts. Let, us, let it strengthen us. Let it cultivate humility in us to walk before you in a manner worthy of Christ. Father, bless the preaching of your word and may it accomplish all you desire in us. For in Jesus' name we pray, and all of God's people said, Amen. Please be seated. <clears throat> now this passage does contain a very familiar account, a very familiar request on the part of Moses. We have no doubt heard this. When Moses says to the Lord, show me your glory. And then, of course, we read of the Lord hiding him in the cleft of the rock and the Lord passing by and proclaiming his name. It is a, a, an, a, an astonishing passage of scripture, to be sure. 
It is, it is remarkable how all of this has led up to Moses requesting this. And if we could just take a moment to go back and to look to see exactly what has happened that has led up to this, it only enhances the grace of God even more so that we may behold it, that we may appreciate it even more so. So back in chapter 32 of Exodus, we read that Moses is up on the mountain with the Lord. He's delayed. The people don't know what has become of him. And so they go to Aaron and they say to Aaron, Make us a God who will go before us. And so Aaron has them to give him all their gold. And then he fashions it and he makes a molten calf. And then he says on the next day they're going to offer burnt offerings to it and peace offerings. They're going to have a celebration. And so they bow down. They worship this, this golden calf whom they refer to as Yahweh. And then the Lord says to Moses... He announces to Moses, rather, that the people have corrupted themselves. He explains what has been done. He says to Moses, now leave me alone. I'm going to consume them in my anger, and I'm going to make of you a great nation. And so Moses intercedes on behalf of the people. He entreaties the Lord not to consume them. And so the text tells us in verse 14 of chapter 32... The Lord changed his mind about the harm which he said he would bring upon this people. So Moses goes down from the mountain. Moses confronts the people. He breaks the tablets. He melts down the golden calf. He scatters it over the water. He makes the people to drink it. He gathers the Levites to himself. The Levites go through the camp and they kill 3,000 people. And then the Lord sent a plague among the people. Verse 35 says, Then the Lord smote the people because of what they had did with the calf which Aaron had made. After everything that the people of God had seen up to this point, everything that they had experienced, seeing how the Lord had delivered them from Egypt by a strong and mighty hand and the various plagues that he, that he brought upon Egypt, demonstrating his power and his authority over all the gods of Egypt. They saw all of this. They saw the Red Sea parting. They were able to cross on dry land. They saw the, the, the cloud that was the, the pillar of cloud and the, and the pillar of fire. They saw all of that. They knew that Moses was the man that God had appointed in order to bring them out and to teach them his statutes. Moses had given to the people the commandments of the Lord that he himself had received in chapter 20. He announces it to the people in chapter 24. The people say, we will do these things. And then what is it that they do? They directly violate God's law because Moses is taking too long on the mountain for no other reason. They don't know what's happened. At least that's what they're saying. And so Moses is being delayed. So we need something happening here in the camp. And so they break the second commandment, which concerns the worship of the one true God. And so that is leading then up to chapter 33. There's an uncertainty here. There's an uncertainty as to how the Lord is going to respond to the people. An uncertainty as whether or not he's going to go. And he does indeed announce in the first couple of verses in chapter 33. He says to Moses, depart, go up from here. 
You and the people whom you have brought up from the land of Egypt, the land which I swore to Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, saying to your descendants, I will give it. I will send an angel before you, and I will drive out the Canaanite and the Amorite, the Hittite, the Perizzite, the Hivite, and the Jebusite. Go up to a land flowing with milk and honey, for I will not go up in your midst, because you are an obstinate people, and I might destroy you on the way. Then when the people heard this, when the, when the people heard this sad word, they went into mourning, and none of them put on his ornaments. So because of what had taken place, there's an uncertainty. <clears throat> an uncertainty as to what the Lord's going to do. And so Moses had told the people in the latter part of chapter 32, I'm going to go before the Lord, and maybe I can make atonement. Maybe. And so this is, this is Moses coming then before the Lord, not, not knowing what he's going to do. Not knowing how he's going to respond. And then when he responds with, I'm not going with you. Because if I do go with you, I'll consume all of you. Because you are an obstinate people, or as some of your translations may say, a stiff-necked people. And so that sends the people into mourning. This is the consequence of their sin. Just as we see that sin does at all points within Scripture, it causes a separation. This people had just proved themselves unfit for God to dwell in their midst by doing exactly what the Lord had forbid to be done. This is their consequence. At least that's what is being said thus far. The Lord going with them is the very thing that distinguished them among all the other peoples of the land, of, of the earth. Is that they knew the one true God. The God had truly revealed himself and, and called them to be his people. For him to be their God. To give them the covenants. All of that. And now the Lord says, I'm not going to go with you. And we'll talk about exactly perhaps what is going on here. Because it seems as if this is some, some interesting language that is being used here. I'll say this. The Lord changing his mind. Not sure what he's going to do. There is purpose here. What it does do is to cause Moses to intercede on behalf of the people. That's the very thing it does do. They had relinquished uh, the blessings of the Lord. They had forfeited the blessings of the Lord in favor of this golden molten calf. And the Lord announces to Moses what's going to happen. And so Moses then comes before the Lord. And he's going to plead on behalf of the people. And so his, his intercession is one that, that, is, that has a, a, a very intense emotional tone to it. This is Moses not just coming to the Lord and saying, See this people here? I didn't do it. I was with you. But see this people here? Yeah, they're an obstinate people. They're very stiff-necked. But maybe, maybe you can still go with us. This is a pastor who is coming before the Lord is God pleading with the Lord, pardon their iniquity. Bring up this people. These are the very things that God had said to Moses earlier. This is what God had said to Moses when he called him in chapter 3. Through you, I'm going to bring up this people. I'm going to be with you. And I'm going to bring them into the land that I swore to their forefathers. And now it's as if the Lord isn't going to do that. And so Moses says to him, see, you say to me, Bring up this people, but you yourself have not let me know whom you will send with me. Now, what is he getting at? The Lord had already said, I'm going to send my angel 
or send an angel before you to drive out the inhabitants so that you can still inherit the land. And Moses is not, he, he's not satisfied with an angel going before them. He wants to know who's going with them. And so he's coming before the Lord. Who's, who's going to go with us? Because that's the very thing that distinguishes them is the very presence of God with them. Now, mind you, this is in the face of him or of the people, rather, breaking the law of God who deserve justice. They deserve that eternal separation before the Lord. And here Moses is going to plead not on behalf of anything having to do with the people. He's not coming before the Lord and saying, do you see how special this people is? Do you see the potential that they have? Oh, Lord, they made a mistake, but they were very sincere. He doesn't come with any of that. He is coming before the Lord. This is your reputation. You said these things. This is your promises. This is your choice that you chose this people. This is, this is Moses bringing back to the Lord everything that the Lord had said previously. Because what value is there in the people who have just broken God's law? Really and truly, there's none. So he says to the Lord, you've told me that you know me by name and I, I have found favor in your sight. And if, he's basically saying, now, if that is true, I pray if I have found favor in your sight, let me know your ways that I may know you so that I may find favor in your sight. And consider, too, that this nation is your people. This isn't a nation that, that just happens to be dwelling in this land. This is the nation that you called. This is the nation whose forefathers you promised you would bring them into this land. If I have found favor in your sight, let your favor for me extend to them. That's basically what he's saying. Don't let it be on anything in them. I know that they've broken your law. I know they deserve justice. I know they deserve wrath. I know they deserve your, your righteous anger and vengeance. But if I have found favor, let your favor extend to them. And so what does the Lord say? He says, my presence shall go with you and I will give you rest. Now, this is this is in the singular here. He's not giving in to Moses's request. He's not saying, OK, I'll go with you. He's saying to Moses, if it's me that you want to go with you, I'll be with you and I'll give you rest. Again, showing his favor to Moses. But Moses isn't satisfied with that because his concern is with the people. So he goes a step further and he says to the Lord, if your presence does not go with us, do not lead us up from here. He is interceding on behalf of the people, pleading before the Lord. If your presence does not go with us, do not lead us up from here. For how then can it be known that I have found favor in your sight, I and your people? He keeps identifying himself with the people. Is it not by your going with us so that we and I, or excuse me, we, I and your people may be distinguished from all other people who are on the face of the earth? And so the Lord says again, I will also do this thing of which you have spoken. For you have found favor in my sight and I have known you by name. So it's like, what exactly is happening here? Because it seems as if 
the Lord is angry and the Lord has decided, I'm not going with this obstinate, stiff-necked people. And then Moses says, but Lord, please go with us. Moses, I'll go with you. But don't, don't lead us up if you're not going with all of us. Okay, Moses, I'll, I'll go with all of you now. And granted, by the end of this, there is that full restoration of, of what the Lord had said originally he was going to do. But it's, it's a little interesting then to try to understand what, how is this displaying the gracious nature of God. But if we can just stop for a second and just think back to understand what exactly is happening here, then we can see the greatness and the majesty of God as to how he is orchestrating all of this for this very purpose to show them the riches of his grace through this entire situation. And what I mean by that is this. When the people first came to Aaron, but we can just start at that point. When the people first came to Aaron and said, we don't know what's become of Moses. Can you make us a God? God is up on the, or Moses is up on the mountain with the Lord. Obviously the Lord knew exactly what was happening. When Aaron says to the people, uh, bring me all your gold. The Lord is very much aware of what is happening. When he makes the golden calf, the Lord knows what's happening. When another day passes and then they're going to have their celebrations and offer burnt offerings and peace offerings. And, and actually they're going to commit great immorality too is the language of them rising up and playing seems to carry with it some drunken and immoral activities contained in the word. So they're corrupting themselves. He was very much aware, but he didn't say anything until the sin had run its course until it had fully blossomed into what it was. Now he says to Moses, I'm going to consume the people. He tells him exactly what he's going to do. I'm going to consume this people and I'm going to start over with you. Now there's a great problem here. For one, the Lord has already made promises beforehand. That when you're, when you're looking at Abraham and you're looking at the promises to Abraham, it's that your, your seed is going to be as the stars of, of heaven, as innumerable as the stars of heaven. I'm going to bring them into this land. It's going to be a land uh, flowing with milk and honey, all of this. And then the, the covenant goes to Isaac, it goes to Jacob. And then through Jacob, we understand that, that the, the line of the kings is coming through Judah, that, that Shiloh, a reference to Messiah, is coming through Judah. And then all of a sudden we get here to Moses and the Lord saying, I'm going to wipe out everybody and I'm going to start over with you. He's from the tribe of Levi. If the Lord had done that, he would have been disregarding every promise that he had made up to that point. So what is occurring here is this isn't a sovereign decree of God that he is going to bring judgment upon the people and then he changes his mind. This is a sovereign decree of God that he's going to show mercy. He's threatening judgment. He is not sovereignly decreeing judgment. And by him threatening judgment and telling Moses exactly what's going to happen, he is drawing out of Moses, Moses' role and appointment as the mediator of the people of God. And this is all leading to the very instance in which God can say to Moses that I am the Lord God. I am merciful and compassionate and full of loving kindness. It is leading to that point. And so this is the sovereign decree of God being orchestrated through his providence. And everything is leading up to this point. The Lord didn't change his mind. 
in the sense that we understand that the, we change our minds. The Lord is unchangeable. The Lord doesn't change his mind. He doesn't have a plan B. It's always plan A. It doesn't have, it's not a scenario of, well, they messed up here, so now I got to go to this plan. Or they messed up here, now I got to go to this plan. Everything that is happening is by the sovereign decree of God, and it is always plan A. And so everything that is occurring here is to draw out of Moses the prayer of intercession so that the Lord will show the riches of his grace to the people in the midst of their great sin. That's what's happening. Again, and it's something to point out as well, when it, when it comes to the languages that, are, that is used, when it comes to the Lord changing his mind or being sorry or relenting from something, that primarily always happens within the narrative portions of Scripture. Where you're, whether you're looking at, at uh, Genesis or you're looking at Exodus or you're looking at 1 Samuel, it is in these portions of Scripture that we read things like that. And it is a way in which the Lord can demonstrate his displeasure with what is going on. Is the Lord angry here? I'm sure he's angry. Is the Lord displeased with all that is happening? I'm sure that he is. Absolutely. God is not stoic. He's not emotionless. But through using the language that we would understand, it is showing to us his great displeasure of how he is grieved over what is occurring. So that is what's going on here. The Lord is showing his great displeasure, absolutely. But we have to understand this, that the scripture also makes clear that the Lord is not like men when he repents. He makes that very clear in 1 Samuel chapter 15. And so everything that is happening here is by the sovereign hand of God, and it is working up to Moses' final request of asking the Lord, show me your glory. And it, it goes back to this. Moses has asked the Lord not to consume the people. Moses is asking the Lord to be with him. Then Moses asked the Lord to go with all the people again. And now he goes one step further. There is that again, that full restoration of the original promise to the Israelites to bring them out of Egypt into the promised land. He has said he's going to do it. But Moses keeps asking, and he keeps asking because Moses desires an even greater assurance that God can and will be merciful. Because from the viewpoint of Moses, he's uncertain. Now we understand in God's sovereign plan, he's working all this out through his providence in order to to demonstrate something to Moses. But from Moses' point of view, he has no idea. And so he keeps asking because he needs the assurance. God has, he said that he's going to go with me. Now he's saying he's going with the people. He told me that before, but then he initially said that he wasn't going to go. So on what basis then are you going to be gracious to this people? And so he keeps asking. <clears throat> And so then he asked the Lord, I pray you, show me your glory. Let me, let me see or understand the essential nature of who you are, that I can know and be assured that you can be gracious and you will be gracious. Is it dependent upon Moses? It's definitely not dependent upon the people. 
Is it only dependent upon Moses that God is going to extend grace to all of them? He met the requirement, and so now I'm going to be gracious to everybody else. That's a, a big weight to put on Moses. Because Moses is eventually going to fail the Lord. Moses is eventually going to disregard the Lord in the sense of not regarding him as holy. And he's not going to be allowed to go in the promised land. So on what basis then will God be gracious and that God would be merciful? And so the Lord says to Moses, I myself will make all my goodness to pass before you. And will proclaim the name of the Lord before you. And I will be gracious to whom I will be gracious. And will show compassion on whom I will show compassion. This is a very interesting answer. Moses is saying, Lord, show me your glory. And the Lord says, I'm going to declare my name. Show me your glory. I'm going to declare my name. But it's through the name and the very titles of God that his glory is set before finite sinners. That we can understand and that we can, we can stand in awe. He says he's going to make all his goodness to pass before Moses. He's going to, to give Moses a sight that, that is going to be so splendid and so beautiful. The, the idea of goodness is his splendor. His beauty. That which is the best is going to pass before him. Moses is going to have the privilege of, of seeing a sight that, that we could only dream of as far as within this life. The best that a human could see to sense God's presence, his glory visually. But the best sense really is not what Moses sees, but what Moses hears. All of his goodness is going to pass by Moses and he's going to proclaim his name. And he adds this after he says this to Moses. You're going to see this sight, but the name of God will be proclaimed before you. The name of the Lord. And look at this. There in verse 19, he says, all my goodness to pass before you and we'll, we'll proclaim the name of the Lord. That's all capitals, the name of Yahweh. And then he adds this. I will be gracious to whom I will be gracious. Now, why is he all of a sudden saying that? He's going to proclaim his name. His, his name to Moses, which is going to de describe to Moses or to declare to Moses his, his essential nature, his glory that is synonymous with his goodness. And he says, I will be merciful or I will be gracious to whom I will be gracious. That really hearkens us back to when the Lord had first called Moses in Exodus chapter 3. And Moses says, whom shall I say sent me? And the Lord says, I am that I am. And from that passage... We understand that God is, is the independent one. He's the self-sufficient one. He's the eternal one from his very name. And then look at the structure of this. It is very similar. Where John Piper it says that in Exodus chapter 3, this is the Lord declaring who he is. And in here in Exodus chapter 33, this is the Lord declaring what he does. This is essential to his name. I will be gracious to whom I will be gracious. Moses if you're wondering on what basis I will be merciful and gracious to the people of God and to you, it is not dependent upon you. It's not dependent upon them. The basis is me. I will be gracious to whom I will be gracious. And he is saying to Moses, this is my sovereign freedom. 
to be gracious to whomever I please. Without any constraints from anything outside of him, he is gracious to whom he will be gracious. It is God's sovereign right and his sovereign freedom. One writer says the the self-determining freedom of God is his name and his glory. It is essential to his glory, his sovereign freedom to be gracious to whom he will be gracious. He's the basis. He's the foundation. There's no obligation on the Lord. There's no conditions that are met that he would be gracious to any. He does so out of his sovereign freedom to choose to be gracious. And think of that just for a moment. That is part of his essential glory, his sovereign freedom. The very thing that many want to take away from the Lord. In this sense to say that the Lord is merciful and gracious because conditions were met that he would be merciful and gracious. In the instance that we begin to put that out there to say that certain conditions were met, then we've lost grace. We've lost exactly what grace is, the unmerited favor of God. It's gone. Now it's conditional. What makes grace what it is, is God simply choosing to extend it for his purpose and his pleasure and for no other reason. That's what, that's what enhances the, the, the understanding of grace for us and, and I pray helps us to appreciate it even more. That there's nothing in me that God extended grace to me. He is gracious by his very nature. And he chooses to bestow it upon whom he desires. And if we are the recipients of that, then, then that should really humble us to understand. I wasn't as good as maybe as what I thought. I wasn't as smart as the next guy. I was dead in my trespasses and sin and was by nature a child of wrath, even as the rest. But God showed me mercy. It is his sovereign freedom to be gracious to whom he decides to be gracious to. And this is, this is what Moses is after. He's, under, he's wanting to understand the Lord even more so to have that assurance. And what better way to tell Moses or to, to help Moses to have that assurance to say, it has nothing to do with you, but all to do with me. And that is, that is the, the very essence of, of grace. It's nothing to do with us and all to do with him. And so the Lord says, I will show, I will be gracious to whom I will be gracious. I will show compassion on whom I will show compassion. <clears throat> he tells Moses that, of course, you can't see my face. He's going to hide Moses. He's going to pass by Moses. And chapter 34, verses 6 and 7 is really the exposition of God's goodness as to what he is declaring to Moses. That he will be gracious to whom he'll be gracious. And these are the graces of God that we, that we are reminded of in chapter 34, verses 6 and 7, when the Lord passes by him. The Lord passed by in front of him and proclaimed the Lord, the Lord God, compassionate and gracious, slow to anger and abounding in loving kindness and truth. Who keeps loving kindness for thousands. Who forgives iniquity, transgression, and sin. Yet he will by no means leave the guilty unpunished. 
visiting the iniquity of the fathers on the children and on the grandchildren to the third and fourth generations. And then Moses made haste to bow low toward the earth and worship. And Moses got his answer. He said, if now I have found favor in your sight, O Lord, I pray, let the Lord go along in our midst. He was assured then. And these graces that are de- declared for us here, I mean, this is, this is essential to his goodness and to his glory. The, these are the things that he is wanting Moses to know about himself concerning his essential being, that he is gracious by his very nature. That's, that's, what, he's, that's what he's bringing about here. One writer says this, And accordingly, all the words which the language contained to express the idea of grace and its varied manifestations to the sinner are crowded together here to reveal the fact that in his innermost being, God is love. That's what he wanted Moses to know. And that's what the people were privileged to experience thereafter was the full restoration of the covenant promises that he had made with a greater understanding of his grace and mercy. Because they were saddened by him not going because of of the heinous sin that they had committed. And here the Lord says, I'm compassionate and I'm merciful. And I am abundant in loving kindness. That that has said that, that covenant love, there's an abundance of it. It doesn't run out. And the basis on which God is being merciful and gracious is he himself simply choosing to be. How amazing our God is to use this whole, this whole situation, this whole circumstance, which evil was occurring. Sin was there. Sin was occurring. And yet to use it in order to give one of the greatest demonstrations of his gracious character that we see within Scripture. That we may behold the greatness of our God and the glory of God in those understandings. Now, for the people of God, we understand the things that came thereafter. And God truly was merciful to them and gracious, even in spite of the many sins that they committed. But the Lord continued to be faithful to them. And he, he fulfilled his promises that he said he would. You know, dear friends, this passage is teaching us the obvious. Our Lord is gracious. And He is merciful. And that should really be a great encouragement to us and a comfort to our hearts because we recognize every day just how short we come. Missing the mark. Sinning against the Lord our God every single day. And we often wonder to ourselves, Lord, why do you have anything to do with me? Or as Mike Avendroth had said, that great quote by Luther When I look at myself, I don't know how I can be saved. But that's why we don't look at ourselves. We look back to Christ. And we understand that by looking at Him, we know that we can't be lost. Because it's all about Him. We were indeed a stiff-necked people too. Sometimes we still retain that. There are times in which we fall. There are times in which we commit sin that we never would think that we would. We indulge in thoughts and deeds and words and actions and all of that. And it is a daily offense against our God. 
And sometimes perhaps that puts us on edge a little bit to wonder, Lord, what are you going to do? I know I've committed this and I've, I've asked for forgiveness before, but here I am again. Lord, on what basis would you be merciful to me? And then we're reminded here, it's not about you. The basis is me, he says. The Lord has saved us in spite of ourselves. Our salvation was never earned to begin with. And if it were dependent upon us as far as our actions to keep it, we would be without hope there too. Every day, it is God's grace that carries us through. Every day, even in view of our sin, God's grace is extended to us through Christ Jesus, who is the mediator of a much better covenant, who is the one who secured salvation for us. That was one thing as well that was being pictured for us as Moses is coming before the Lord and he's interceding on behalf of the people. And the Lord shows favor to Moses, and by showing favor to Moses, he extends it to the people. That is exactly what, what is pictured in Christ himself. That because of Christ, because of the Father's delight in him, that the Father extends grace to those that are in the Son. One of the most wonderful things, one of the most wonderful truths of Scripture, um, not only being justified in the sight of God and adopted in the family of God and all of that, but to think of this, that... When you're looking in John 17 and you're seeing this, this amazing interaction with, with the Lord Jesus to the Father. And you're seeing the love and, and the intimacy that's there. He loved, he loved Christ before the foundation of the world. All of that language. That the love that the Father has for the Son is the same love that the Father has for you that are in the Son. And why did he extend it to you? Because he's gracious. Was it based on you? No, it was based on him choosing to extend it to you and choosing to extend it to you every day of your life, even in view of your sin. This isn't a license to sin, not at all. But when we do find ourselves entrapped in sin, committing things that we think we never would have, the grace of God is with us. And the grace of God is not dependent upon our actions but totally dependent upon him and understanding that i pray that that would really help us to cultivate humility in our life to understand i'm not that good at all i'm pretty vile and if you know you and you do know you better than anybody else you know what you're capable of you know what you think you know the things that go on in your mind and yet god still has saved you and loved you in spite of yourself that should give us a great time of reflection to, to understand that a little bit more. He saved me on, on no other reason but just because he chose to. Nothing that he foresaw in me. Understanding those things help us helps us to walk in humility. Whereas the Apostle Paul would tell us, it's by his doing that you are in Christ Jesus. His doing, not your own. Not only... With a passage like this, I pray, help us to walk in humility. But, you know, you're looking at what Moses' Moses's whole interaction there, his request that he makes to the Lord. These are extraordinary requests that he's making. And yet the extraordinary request that he is making 
is exactly in line with the will of God. This is the means that God is using in order to bring about what we read of in chapter 34. Those, <clears throat> those, those instances in which we, we read in the scripture to ask and to seek and knock. Uh, when, when the Lord tells us to cast all our care upon him for he cares for us. Uh, that we are to, to pray without ceasing. All of that language. You know, one thing about it is, is that we are to line up our lives with, with the will of God as best as we can. And then ask. It is not our job to figure out what exactly God has sovereignly decreed. He says to come and ask. You don't have because you don't ask. So let us then ask the Lord and to pray and to seek out what God has put in our hearts uh, to, to yearn for, for his glory. Again, it's not our job to figure out what he has sovereignly decreed. But the amazing thing is, is that, yes, God has sovereignly decreed all things. He declares the end from the beginning. His counsel will stand. As the, the pagan king Nebuchadnezzar says, no one can thwart his will or say to him, what have you done? He works all things after the counsel of his will. And yet, even in light of all of that truth that God uses as the means to bring about his will, the prayers of his people, praying in the will of God. Praying according to the things that we know are pleasing to God. And we get to be part of the means by which God brings about his sovereign decree. So pray and ask and seek and knock. And this passage here would also give us great hope. Even for the most stiff-necked and obstinate stone-hearted people. We look at people sometimes and we already declare they're too far gone. And especially in our own day, we see so much ridiculousness and just straight up junk. And sometimes we already declare there's no hope for them. But remember this, even to a stiff-necked, obstinate people, that God can be merciful and God can be gracious. Because that is his character, to be gracious. And so there are none so far gone that they are without hope, at least from our perspective. And so these are the ones that we lift up before the throne of grace. And we ask the Lord to intervene. And we ask the Lord to, to be gracious and extend mercy to them. We ask the Lord to glorify himself in saving this one or saving that one. He may, he may not. But these are the things that we know are pleasing to God that glorifies the Lord to save a sinner. And so we pray. And we ask and we pray for even the most difficult of people. Dear friends, our God is gracious. Let us remember that. Let us pray in view of that. Let us have our hope in view of that. Let us pray for the lost in view of God's gracious nature. Let's pray together. Gracious God, we thank you once again for this portion of your word. Thank you for this entire day. For the men that have stood here, that have broken the bread of life for us. And how we pray that the Spirit of God would apply all that we've learned today to our hearts. That we may please you even more so. That you would be glorified in us. Lord, we all fail daily. And we recognize just how offensive that sin is to you. But thank you that you are gracious. And thank you that your mercies are new every morning. And thank you that you tell us in your word 
that we have an advocate with the Father, Jesus Christ the righteous. And Father, help us to walk worthy of the calling with which we've been called. Help us to honor you every day and to live in view of eternity, to live in view of, of the majesty and the glory of, of our God. Thank you again for all that you've done for us in Christ and the grace that you extended to us in him. And Father, may we indeed pray for others that they too would receive that wonderful gift of salvation, if it be your will. To you be the praise, the glory, the honor in all things. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.